In this podcast episode, I talk about the death of a young child and I also do go into some of the circumstances around her death and how she was assaulted in particular because it did pertain to the theory. So please use your best judgment when listening and make sure there are no little ears around. And also please do not listen if specific sexual attacks do upset you. A huge thank you to Hunt a Killer for helping me bring you all this week's podcast episode. If you're anything like me, your ideal Friday or Saturday night is spent at home on the couch in your pajamas, maybe drinking a little bit of wine or some hard seltzer with your family and your dogs. Because I would rather stay in than go out, I absolutely love Hunt a Killer. If you haven't heard of Hunt a Killer yet, it is a murder mystery game told over six boxes. In each box, you will get things like witness statements and autopsy reports, and using these clues, you can solve a murder by the time you get to the final box. At only $30 per box, Hunt a Killer is way less expensive than a night at the town or a night at the movie theater, and it's an affordable way to spend time with your family and relax at home. If you like my podcast or anything true crime related, you will absolutely love Hunt a Killer. And the best part is that with the link in my show notes, you will get 30% off your first box. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley. And in this podcast, I try to help unidentified victims get a little bit more attention and limelight and really try to spread their stories and their faces all around the internet. This week's episode is so special to me and it's always going to be one that I remember recording and for one, it's because it is over the Walker County Jane Doe. She has the biggest place in my heart and I just have always really found her case really interesting, very tragic and very sad and I have this weird thing where I like to think that I've like kind of taken her in because I personally have a theory that her family just like hasn't looked very hard for her because she is kind of the poster child for being a Jane Doe. If you look up Jane Doe, her face will pop up um, like all over. And I've wanted to record this episode for a really long time. At first, I actually thought my podcast was just going to be about the Walker County Jane Doe, but I realized that wasn't going to be enough content the case isn't moving very much and it just wouldn't be possible. And so that's why I started the Doe Identify podcast. So that way you can help other Jane and John Doe's as well. So this week's episode is just really important to me. And it's also super important because I had the blessing to interview Carl Koppelman. If you don't know who that is, he is actually the artist of my episode art. He is a really big deal in the Jane and John Doe community. He has just done an amazing job recreating what these people looked like when they were alive. And his work has helped identify so many people. So I had the amazing opportunity to talk with him about the Walker County Jane Doe and also a little bit about his career. And Carl is just so nice. He's so humble and it was just a really huge blessing for me to get to speak with him and interview him. 
Ever since I actually found out about the Walker County Jane Doe, I've been following his work. And so I just feel so thankful that he gave me the time of day to interview him. I'm sure he gets contacted all the time through media outlets. And so, yeah, this episode is just so important to me and I hope you all love it. And I hope that this young girl will get identified soon. Unfortunately, I just think DNA is what's going to identify her one day just because of how old this case was. But without me rambling anymore, let's go ahead and get into this young girl's case. So the Walker County Jane Doe is the only name we have for a teenager who was found dead on November 1st, 1980 in Huntsville, Texas. She was found within the 123rd mile marker on the side of Interstate 45 going northbound by a trucker. I always try to breeze past the cause of death and I only give details if it was really important to talk about. Um, And what's really important here is to know that this girl was brutally attacked and this is you know, a really big reason why I think she has such a big following and has so many supporters is because it's just how can you do this to such a little girl? And I know there's baby does out there and all of it is so sad no matter the age, but it's just the brutality that her killer had and the sheer evil that was inside of them. To do this to a young teenage girl is just mind-blowing and it just like really gets to me and makes me really emotional but something that is important is what happened to her because of some theories that have come about and also why her killer has not been brought to justice and it's that she was sexually assaulted in both lower body cavities with a blunt object We're not sure if she was raped by someone who maybe had a condom on, but the reason I'm pointing this out is because there was no biological evidence that was recovered. We just know it was a blunt object. And also there was a deep bite mark that was located on one of her shoulders. And a lot of people think that a woman could have raped her. And this is something that I talked about with Carl. Both of us don't really think that this is likely probably because just the sheer brutality is so abnormal with women unless they have a male counterpart or if it was a really heated thing like a love triangle or something normally women are not this brutal and it's just statistics I wish no one was this brutal but and I'm not trying to be sexist or anything it's just women normally are not you know, people who sexually assault them and do everything else that was done to this girl. It's just statistics that most serial killers are men. I'm sure a lot of you know it's kind of hard to think back to a female serial killer who wasn't, you know, a nurse who poisoned someone or someone who was getting revenge on maybe like their ex or like their husband or someone like that. Anyways, her autopsy revealed she was likely from a middle-class household because she was so well-nourished and she also had really great dental health. Her teeth were perfectly aligned and they couldn't tell if she had braces in the past or not, but that is something to note that she had really great teeth. And she had one or more dental fillings 
She also had light brown hair in a wing style and it's important to remember it's light brown because some depictions have her with like black hair rather than you know this light brown color and so it's important to remember she had light brown hair and she styled it in a wing style which was very popular in the 80s so she was very on trend her eyes were a pretty hazel color and she was around 5'6 and was between 105 and 120 pounds and so she was very lean in her autopsy images that I don't recommend looking at because it is a child and it's just really disturbing. She had fuller lips and we're not sure if that was because you know she had been beaten or if it was because there was some pooling going on as she was dead. But we do know she didn't have thin lips by any stretch of the imagination. She probably had medium to full lips. And she had a very small nose and a very small chin. She had very feminine, dainty features. And she was just really beautiful. Um, if you look at her image, she was just a very beautiful young girl. And she had a scar underneath. I believe it was her left eyebrow, but I could be wrong. Um, and this is something that detectives disagree with. Carl mentioned in his interview, which you will hear in part two of this episode, that a detective said that she didn't have that, but in all of the images, she had some type of scar, and a part of her eyebrow was actually kind of ruffled a little bit that looked like, you know, maybe she had some smaller scars within her eyebrow. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but hopefully you can look at the renderings that Carl made because he did include this scar in his images of her. In some other smaller notes is that she had her toenails painted light pink and she was very well manicured. She was pretty clean and it didn't look like she had been a runaway for very long. A lot of people compare her to Deborah Jackson who is also known as Orange Socks and Carl did a sketch of her as well which was just a really great sketch. It looks excellent. But Orange Socks or Deborah Jackson was in fact a runaway and police could tell because she wasn't groomed very well and you know her fingernails were dirty, they were grown out and they could just tell but with the Walker County Jane Doe she had been taken care of. So to me this sounds like she may have ran away or maybe were was with her family or had proper shelter just days before all of this occurred. She also had pierced ears but didn't have any earrings on, but something that I think it could help get her identified or at least get the right people paying attention is she had a gold necklace on with a rectangular pendant containing a smoky glass stone on it. And there are pictures of this. This is such a unique necklace. And this necklace kind of reminds me of... I don't know. I remember as a kid, I would go on vacation and pick up like a piece of jewelry or like a stone or something that reminded me of the place. It just reminds me of that. And it's just not a necklace that I think was in style back then. So it's just important to look at this necklace. If you have any young woman missing from your life who went missing in 1980 or so. 
She also had a pair of red leather strappy high-heeled shoes, which were found near the body. But other than that, that was it. And I want to say that there are many renderings of her out there. And I'm not biased because Carl was so nice to be interviewed for this, but he truly has done an amazing job. We talk about why the renderings look so different and it's his are just so amazing and he's constantly working on new renderings of her. And so his by far are the most accurate in my opinion. And I have seen her post-mortem images and... You know, I really don't recommend looking at them because she is a child, but his renderings are very accurate and I just think that you don't even really need to look at her post-mortem images unless you're trying to make sure that, you know, she's not your family member or friend who went missing. So onto the investigation, which really gets to be the interesting part of her story and I think that's why her story is so big. So after some news reports came out about, you know, a dead teenager on the side of the road in Huntsville, Texas, which is today still such a small town, a lot of witnesses came forward from a gas station and truck stop called the Hitchin Post, and it's still around today, at least from my memory. I used to drive past it to go to college, actually, but they came forward and said they had actually spoken to the girl, and she had been looking for directions to the Ellis Prison Unit, and she said she wanted to go to Ellis Prison to see a friend. And police did go to the prison and talk to the inmates and the staff and no one could identify her. To me, this sounds like maybe someone was writing her from prison and so she wanted to come and visit them and she just met with foul play. But obviously a prisoner couldn't have done anything because if they escaped, no prisoner comes back. And also, surely with their, the likelihood they would have gotten caught at least one of those times by the guards and so I think that might be the case and I actually heard about this case from Stephanie Harlow on YouTube I love her content she's like my favorite person on YouTube but she said perhaps she was looking at the Ellis prison farm as kind of like a point of direction like maybe someone said I live so and so miles south from the Ellis prison farm and that's why she was looking for it other than where she was trying to go, they also said that she had been let out of a 1973 or 1974 blue Chevrolet, which had a light colored top, and that it was possibly a Caprice, and that it was driven by a white male. And a lot of people think that this was just someone who gave her a ride while hitchhiking, and it's really unfortunate that this person hadn't come forward because what if she told them her name? Um, what if, you know, she was coming from Dallas or something because that is the I-45 stretches from Dallas to Houston. And what if this person had gone ahead and, you know, asked for her name and said, where are you from? And maybe she told them and maybe they have more information. I know it's unlikely, but if you all know someone who had that car, maybe ask them if they gave someone a ride on I-45, October 31st, 1980. Witnesses said that it looked like she had been traveling and perhaps sleeping in her clothes and said that she wore a yellow cardigan and a white blouse and blue jeans. 
she was found with pantyhose around her neck. And I'm not sure if anyone knows if those were her pantyhose or not. And if they were not hers, then perhaps the female killer theory could have been true. She was last seen by the manager of the Hitchin Post and also two other employees at the South End Gulf Station, which was a gas station. And I believe it's still there today, surprisingly. Later that day, she, which was all October 31st, she had returned to the Hitchin Post where one of the waitresses questioned her age and she said she was 19 and the waitress said do you know where your parents are like do your parents know where you are and she said who cares and carl mentioned that the employees of the establishment kind of got a really sassy kind of self-centered and pompous attitude from her which i think is so funny um just because you know everyone was a sassy teenager at some point or they knew one and to me this just sounded like she was a really sassy teenager and this is one of the reasons I really connected with her case because I was a sassy teenager at some point too. All three witnesses who saw her have unfortunately died by now. It's been 40 years now and her autopsy showed that she was lying about her age because she was 14 to 18 years old so she was most likely a child. In 1981, her remains were buried after her case went cold, and in 1999, the body was exhumed for DNA information to, and to collect a clear estimation of her age, and they entered her DNA into CODIS, but they have not, from our knowledge, tested it for you know any last names or have used GEDmatch to see if she has any relatives who have taken their DNA. So on to theories, which I did discuss with Carl, and he brought up some really great points, but these are just the theories that I've seen circulating. So as I mentioned, there's the female killer case because there was no biological evidence, and also Henry Lee Lucas was considered as the killer, but the bite mark did not match his bite. But something that Carl mentions in part two is that he had dental work and so they weren't able to tell if the bite mark was from him or not. But I think there's proof that he was in Florida at the time of her death. A lot of people think that she was killed by the same person as Deborah Jackson, who was orange socks. And... This is because she was found around the same time a year before and both of them were strangled, sexually assaulted, and left nude by a highway except for their footwear. And Henry Lee Lucas did confess to Deborah Jackson's murder, but he later recanted and police found that he was working in Florida the day that Jackson was murdered. And if you aren't aware of who Henry Lee Lucas is, he is a disgusting serial killer who loves to claim murder victims as his own. And a lot of this was because, you know, he could get out of his prison cell and go chat, maybe have a cup of coffee or something. And I think he just liked to hurt people. I think he liked to cause hurt. And so... I personally don't believe anything he says unless there's DNA evidence. That's just me. But I know a lot of people think that he was the killer of both of these young women. 
And another theory is that a photograph from 1980 of a possible runaway from Corpus Christi resurfaced and it resembled the Walker County Jane Doe. And her name could have been Kathleen or Kathy or Katie. And she was traveling to a prison in Texas. And there was a family who took a picture of this young girl who Carl is in contact with. And both of the siblings really believe that that was the Walker County Jane Doe. And Carl and I talked about this and it's just kind of one of those things where like we really don't know. But he did say that that image has circulated all over Texas and no one has claimed that they know this girl, that they did know her, that they know her today or that they are her even. And it's just really interesting to me that this girl has just vanished from the face of the earth. Meanwhile, a girl who looks a lot like her doesn't have her name. I think that's just really interesting, but there's really no way of knowing. But I just stay tuned for part two because Carl had some really great insight on this. And I think that the theory is one of the more likely ones. And there's another theory that I would really like to dig in deeper to and maybe make like a whole episode or a string of episodes on it. But there is a theory that there's an I-45 killer. And this is because there's a Harris County Jane Doe of October 1980 and one called the Harris County Jane Doe of December 10th, 1980. And so there were murders in October, November, December. Well, I guess the Walker County Jane Doe is technically October, but she was found November 1st in the early hours. And each of them were left on Interstate 45. And there's quite a lot of Harris County Jane and John Doe's. And if you aren't familiar, that is Houston, Texas. A vast majority of Houston and downtown Houston is in Harris County, as well as a few of the suburbs. And so it is a really big area, but also to have several Jane Doe's show up on the side of I-45 just months within each other, it sounds a little bit like too much of a coincidence, but investigators have never been able to confirm or deny that there is an I-45 killer. And it's also important to say that I-45 again goes all the way through Dallas and it's a really long stretch of highway and it finishes and turns into a completely different interstate. I believe it's I-75. And I think that goes all the way into Oklahoma as well and turns into I-35. Okay, so I just confirmed it on Google Maps. So I-45 goes from Houston to Dallas and then I-75 goes all the way into Oklahoma. And so it's just like this really long stretch of an interstate. And it's just... I feel like going between not only two of the largest cities in the country, but also two different states, I feel like it's unfortunately not a surprise that there are murder victims left on the side of the road, especially in 1980, where it was just like serial killer paradise. So it's just something that I want to look into and see if the MOs match. And I would love to cover both of the... Harris County Jane Doe's that were found just a few weeks before and after the Walker County Jane Doe. 
but that is the end of this case and i hope you all loved it there are just so many theories and so many interesting things about this case and I really pray that we get her identified soon. Unfortunately, I think it's just going to be through DNA because I just, I will be very surprised that if her, we find out that her family had been looking for her all this time and they had access to internet and they had access to a cell phone and everything. I'm just going to be really surprised if she had a family who was looking for her and, you know, was on Facebook looking through missing people. Carl has, Carl's the one who runs the Walker County Jane Doe Facebook page and he has gotten millions of impressions on his posts and somehow no one has ever came forward and said that's my daughter or let's test my DNA versus hers. There's no one who has done that and it's just so unfortunate that either her family hasn't come across these images somehow or her family just isn't looking very hard or they don't care to look. I just would really like to invite all of you to kind of band together and advocate for all Jane and John Doe's, but especially the Walker County Jane Doe, just because she was just a young girl. Something that I didn't mention, and it's kind of because I don't think it's true. She said she was from Aransas Pass, Texas, and investigators looked into all schools to see if there's any girls who just like vanished and stopped coming to school, no matter the reason, and they didn't find anything, and they looked all over Texas, and to me, that says that she was not going to school, and just I think her family may have been neglecting her unless she was homeschooled of course that's possible but it's just really sad to me that the cards have not been right for this Jane Doe and I just really hope that she gets identified soon definitely within my lifetime because it would just be so sad if she never got identified so please join me in advocating for her and kind of just like being her family that yeah I don't want to get all sappy or weird or anything I just like have this really big place in my heart for her because I just relate to her so much and I just feel really bad for her please stay tuned I'll be publishing my interview with Carl and I'll be talking about him and his connection with this case and his career as someone who is a CPA and also in his free time he creates renderings of Jane and John Doe's and he just has such a great story and I think he's an awesome person and so do be sure to go ahead and keep an eye out for our bonus episode. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you all so much for those of you who do share either my episodes or the images of people to Facebook groups or any other groups like that. It really helps a lot and it really helps people get identified a lot more quickly and it gives something that investigators can check out and maybe even test DNA and this goes for all Jane and John Doe cases. All right everyone I will see you back here in a few days with the bonus episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Nix for continuing to partner with me for my podcast. 
If you don't know what NYX is, it's a company that has absolutely everything you need so you can be comfortable on an everyday basis in your loungewear no matter what you're doing. Let's be honest, most bras are super uncomfortable and have sharp underwires that just do not allow you to relax at all whatsoever. What's so special about NYX is that they have no underwires in any of their bras. All of their straps are completely adjustable, and then they also have at least three to four rows of extender hooks in the back. They have completely changed the game for bras and loungewear, and I myself have five NYX bras, and I absolutely love every single one. Something else I love about NYX is their accurate representation of models on their website. You will have to see for yourself, but everyone is a real human on their website, and they're not perfect models that have been photoshopped for hours on end, and I just appreciate that so much. If you want $15 off your most comfortable bra ever, use the link in my show notes and go ahead and spoil yourself and get something that you will feel confident in. Thank you so much to NYX for always working with me. It is an absolute pleasure.